0: As we begin our, church, our message today, I wanna to ask you how you're feeling as we begin 2021. It is hard to believe that we're already in February, but as the year has got going, what words or phrases would you use to unpack how you're feeling as we head into a new year? For some of us, we would probably say that we're hopeful, that there is a sense of hope about this year, sense of hope that this year is not going to be like last year, that it's going to be a lot less challenging than last year and that a lot of that stuff is behind us. We have a sense of hope with the vaccine being rolled out that uh, maybe there are some other things that are gonna kick in and that some version of normality might be able to kick in for us, and a sense of hope that there are good things that are ahead of us as we head into this year. But I can imagine that you're already thinking, as I am when I say that, there's a lot of uncertainty about that and we don't know whether that's true or not. And so that's one of the words that I would use about this year as well is uncertain that it's really hard to have a sense of what this year's gonna be about. It's really hard to make plans and to know what's gonna go on because we know at any point that we could end up back in lockdown or that different things could happen. And last year has taught us that we're really not in control of a lot whatsoever. And so there's this huge sense of uncertainty as we start this year. There's lots that we don't know. And one of the words that I've used in some conversations this week about how I'm feeling as I start this year is the word fractured. There's just this sense where it feels like everything's a little bit fractured, that things aren't as clear as they normally are, things aren't quite as together as they normally are. When I was talking about that with one of our groups this week, uh, they said maybe the word disconnected is a helpful way of being able to articulate that as well. It's just this sense that things aren't quite as together and connected as they have been, and certainly as we start a year, it doesn't feel the same as other years. It just feels a bit like things are a bit fractured and disjointed. For us as a church, we've got lots of questions as we head into this year. We've got lots of questions about how we rebuild a sense of momentum that I was thinking about this message this time last year and had a bit of a look at some of the things that we talked about in this message when we kicked off 2020. And we're in a very different place than when we were last year. And even the sense of momentum that we felt like we had as a church family is not quite there the same because last year was so disjointed and all over the place. So how as a church do we rebuild a sense of momentum and excitement about what this year is about? How do we have a sense of vision about what God's calling us to do? We've got some very big questions to talk about how we can connect with the neighbourhood around us. We've talked a lot about how we're in a very different culture now, where people don't necessarily engage with church the way that they used to, and so how do we help people to understand why we're here and what it looks like for us to be able to serve them and connect with them, and in particular to journey with them as they work through some of the really big questions of life. There's lots and lots that's very uncertain. And for me, whenever I'm feeling like that, I know how important it is to go back to basics, to be able to focus on the things that I do know and the things that I can say with confidence, not to get overwhelmed with all the stuff that I don't know, but to be able to say, okay, let's zoom in. What are the things that I can confidently say, these things I know, and then be able to move forward with that? And for us as a the church, these three statements, being Jesus-centred, spiritual family, who are passionate about seeing lives change, have been some statements that we've used over the last few years to help bring a sense of clarity, to bring us back to basics. And to be able to say, we don't know a lot of what this year is going to be about, but we do know these are the things that God is calling us to be focused on together. And we know that when we focus on being a Jesus-centred, spiritual family, then people's lives are changed. People's lives are transformed. And so at the start of each year, we think it's helpful to go back to what those statements are. But this year, more than ever before, I think it's really crucial for us to remind ourselves this is why God has got us here. So this week, we're gonna talk about what it looks like for us to focus on being Jesus-centered, to remind ourselves that Jesus ultimately is the center of everything that we do, that we believe Jesus is the one who comes to show us what God is like, Jesus is the one who comes to show us how to live the lives that we were always created to live and that our focus individually and collectively is to centre ourselves on Jesus, to remind ourselves about who he is and to live out of the core of that. So we're going to unpack that a bit today. Next week we're going to talk about what it means to be spiritual family and we're going to talk about the reality that all of us in order to grow need to be in some version of a healthy family environment for that to happen. And we've used four words that we'll unpack next week to talk about what that looks like, that we need to be in a place that is authentic, where we can be real and honest and vulnerable, where we're accepted, where we're encouraged, and where we're supported. And so we're going to take some time next week to talk about what that looks like. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about what it means for us to focus on seeing lives change, that we believe that God is passionate about transformation. That God wants us to experience peace and joy and hope and love in our lives, and not just in us individually, but our households, our families, the people that we're connected with, our streets, our businesses, our schools, our unis, our city, that God is passionate about that transformation. And we believe that when we centre ourselves on Jesus and experience a healthy sense of spiritual family, we've got the ability to see people's lives change. And so we'll talk about that in a few weeks. And to be able to do this, we're going to have a look at some passages that come from the book of Romans. So you can grab your teaching notes out of Connect News uh, so that you can jot things down as we go through today's message, if that's helpful for you. And you can also open up to Romans chapter 5, because that's where we're going to go in a couple of minutes. So the background context for the book of Romans. uh, Romans was written by Paul, who was one of the key leaders in the early church. Paul was one of the guys who helped to plant a whole bunch of churches in a bunch of different cities uh, around Europe and around Asia Minor, as it was called back then, Uh, a bunch of different places where people discovered who Jesus was and then had the ability to form these communities that were called churches, where they discovered what it meant to be able to follow Jesus together. And Paul then wrote letters to the leaders in each of those churches in different cities to be able to help them stay on track and to help them understand a little bit more about what it meant to be Jesus-centred. And most of what we call the New Testament is made up of these letters, primarily that Paul had written, to all of these different churches. Romans was obviously written to the church in Rome. And Rome at the time was really the centre of the world. As you think about the Romans, they were the most dominant group. They had overtaken a whole bunch of cities and a whole bunch of countries and Rome was the center of culture. It was the center of everything at this time. And the book of Romans is one of the most important books in the Bible, because it really does help us to understand a lot about what our theology looks like, which means what it means for us to understand who God is and what God's all about. And the things that Paul wrote here were really, really profound and have had a significant impact on a lot of the things that most of us believe as people who follow Jesus. In the first few chapters of Romans, Paul has begun by talking about the reality that none of us uh, in a place where we can get our lives together enough to be able to be in a full, complete relationship with God. That all of us make mistakes, that all of us mess up, that all of us have selfish motives. And at the end of the day, all of those things mean none of us are really in a place where we can say, I can live a perfect enough life for God to accept me because I haven't made any mistakes. But Paul very quickly shifts to say, the good news is you don't have to. That's not the point of all of this. But in actual fact, God doesn't require us to be perfect. He simply requires us to trust. And just before the passage we're looking at today, Paul has talked specifically about Abraham, who was this key figure in the life of the Israelite Israelite nation, who was seen as a guy who did really trust God. And so Paul says, if you want to know what you need to do, live like Abraham, which is just about trusting in God. But don't trust in God in some general term, specifically trust God. Jesus and so that's where we pick things up today in Romans chapter 5 starting at verse 1 and I'm going to read from the message translation because I think it really helps to bring all of this alive Paul writes by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us to set us right with him and make us fit for him we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. So Paul says, what's happened here is that God has set us right with him. And in other translations, there are a couple of big theological words that often get used that can be a little bit complex. So one of those words is the word justified. And uh, the most helpful way that I've heard the word justified explained is that it's a squished down version of saying just as if I'd. So justified is just as if I'd all squashed together. Justified means, quite simply, it's as if I had managed to get myself together enough to be able to have a full and complete relationship with God. What Jesus has done is just as if I'd managed to do that for myself. So any time you read the word justified, just think just as if I'd, that's what's going on there. The other word that's often used is the word righteousness, which is a word that seems kind of big and complex, but it's really about saying everything is Right. A right relationship with God, right thinking, right motives, right attitudes, right actions. That's what righteousness looks like. And so what Paul is saying here is that Jesus has justified us so that we now have righteousness, which is very churchy language to be able to say, as if we had done it for ourselves, Jesus has done everything necessary to clear the decks so that we can have a full, complete relationship with God and everything that comes with that. And Paul says that's actually what God always wanted for us. Since the beginning of time, since the beginning of creation, that's what God's heart was for us, to be able to experience that and to know that it's not about us getting ourselves together enough, it's about what he has done for us. And Jesus ultimately is the one who makes all of that possible. By his life, his death and his resurrection, we are now able to say that we are in a full, complete relationship with God. Another way of saying that is that we have peace with God. And we've unpacked that word peace multiple times to say that peace is life the way that God always wanted it to be. It's not just the absence of conflict, but it's everything, again, in a right relationship. Everything the way that we know, yes, that's how life should be. That's what peace is all about. We have peace with God, wholeness, completeness, everything the way that it always should have been. And I love the picture of how the message describes that, standing out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise with our doors wide open to God and his door wide open to us. It's a beautiful way of thinking about what peace is, to picture ourselves standing out in a wide open space, whether that's a field or a park or standing out on the beach with our arms out wide being able to breathe the air in deeply. That's a beautiful picture of what peace looks like. And to me, this is one of the most helpful defining concepts of what the message of Jesus is all about. That ultimately, God's done everything necessary for us to experience that sense of peace, for us to be able to live in the wide open spaces that God always wanted for us. And so Paul says, how do you get this? How is this available to you? It's quite simple. You trust in Jesus. Other translations will use the word faith, but those two words are completely interchangeable. Faith and trust are exactly the same thing. They both mean the same thing. All we have to do is trust in Jesus, to trust that Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus has done what he says that he's done. And this is really the difference between Christianity and every other belief system. If you're ever asked that question, what's the difference with Christianity? Don't we all just generally believe the same thing ultimately? This is really what the difference is. is that it's not about us needing to do everything. It's about us trusting that Jesus has done everything for us. It's not about us having to live the right way, follow a set of rules, make sure we don't break these rules. It's not about us having a set of right thoughts and making sure that we kind of manage to get our headspace right so that we can experience whatever the goal of that belief system is. Christianity simply says, Jesus has done everything necessary for you to experience the peace of God. So trust in him and then move forward. That's why we as a church continue to talk about how Jesus-centred we are because that's how radical and amazing it is That's the core of what we believe. That's the core of everything that we want to talk about. That's the core of everything that we want people to be able to discover. That Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves and now he's placed us in these wide open spaces where we get to experience God's peace all the time. Now, the challenge is, and you might already be thinking this, but I don't experience God's peace all of the time. I don't feel like I'm always out in wide open spaces. In fact, sometimes I feel like life is very complex and challenging. Paul addresses that in the very next verse. He says, there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience, in turn, forges the tempered seal of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, even when we go through difficult times, and I love the imagery that he uses here, to say, even when we feel hemmed in with our troubles. So it's interesting to compare that, to say the wide open spaces of experiencing God's peace compared to being hemmed in, where our troubles have kind of closed in around us and we feel like we're not experiencing those wide open spaces. Even when that's the case, when we feel like everything's coming down upon us, we can continue to trust in Jesus. And why is that? Well, Paul says, because we know that when we go through difficult times, that produces patience and endurance in us. And I know that that's certainly true for me. I don't know about you, but in my life, I don't get more patient when things are going well. Everything, when it's just going well, I hit the cruise control button and just keep on cruising. It's in those times where life's a bit more difficult and a bit more challenging that the little bit of patience that I do have in my life has been cultivated. It's only when we go through difficult times that patience and endurance is developed in us. And Paul then reminds us that that patience and endurance, and I love again the language that the message uses here, forges the tempered steel of virtue. It's this beautiful picture of being able to say that our character is strengthened when our patience and endurance starts to grow. There's a greater sense of us knowing what's most important in life. Our integrity goes to new levels. Our sense of character is strengthened in significant ways. And then Paul says, when all of that happens, it helps to keep us alert to what God is up to. It gives us a sense of hope, to be expectant, to say, God's not finished yet. Even though I know I'm not feeling like I'm out in the wide open spaces, I believe that God's up to something. And I believe that good can come out of this, even in the most difficult and challenging situations. Last year was a really great example of how all of this plays out. That as we spent all of our time working through everything that was related to COVID, we can see how exactly what Paul's saying played out for us. That as we went through last year, our patience and our endurance was developed in significant ways. I know I've had lots of conversations with lots of you about that reality that last year caused us to slow down, to not be running so fast, to not expect everything to happen immediately, but to say, actually, maybe we need to just slow down a little bit and focus on what's happening now. We need to develop endurance. We need to be a bit more patient to wait for some things to come that the time that we spent, particularly the times that we spent in lockdown, did help to strengthen our character. It gave us a sense of getting back to basics, of focusing on what's most important in our lives, allowing some things in us to be developed in ways that probably wouldn't have happened any other way. And in the midst of that, it challenged us to say, what is God up to in the midst of this? This is not a great time. We don't feel like we're out in the wide open spaces. We feel like we're really hemmed in but what's God doing in the midst of it? And we know that last year there were lots of examples of good that came out of the challenging situations that we faced. People who started caring for each other in deeper ways. So many stories about neighbours who started looking out for each other, getting to know each other in deeper ways, especially when we went into that first lockdown. Appreciating the things that we do have We've spent a lot of time over the last year talking about how fortunate and privileged we are here in Australia, appreciating the reality of what we've got and how amazing it is that we're in the space that we are. We recognise how miraculous it is that the whole global scientific community spent time working together on one problem. How amazing is that? That people from every country and every culture started working together on one problem and look at how amazing it was, the results that came out of that. Is that something that can then be something that helps us to move forward, not just with COVID, but in other areas as we work together as a global community? There's lots of innovation that came out of last year, lots of different ways that we learned how to do things. And a lot of that will help us as we move forward. There were good things that came out of that, but we have to stop long enough to be able to recognise what's God up to in the midst of the difficult situations that we're facing? Paul challenges us to say, trust in Jesus all the time, not just when everything feels like it's going well, but even in the most difficult times, you can still trust in Jesus and all that he's done and all that he says that he is. Paul then rounds all of this out in verse 6, where he says, Christ arrives right on time to make all of this happen. He didn't, and he doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. Paul reminds us that Jesus didn't wait for us to get our lives together enough to say, okay, now you've proven yourself that you are worthy of this, I will act. Jesus didn't wait for that. It's not about whether we earned it. It's not about whether we deserved it. Jesus acts on our behalf. And in fact, I love the way that Paul talks about these two extremes, that even though we might have been too weak or too rebellious, And I think at different times we all experience some of that. Sometimes we feel like we're too weak to earn what God has for us. We feel like we can't keep pushing anymore. I've done everything that I can. I know that I don't have what it takes. I've tried and I've failed. That can create a sense of weakness that we can feel in our lives. And at other times, if we're honest, we can be rebellious as well. where We say, I know what God wants me to do, but I'm going to walk in the opposite direction. I know what God's best is, but I'm going to say thanks, but no thanks to what God is offering me. And Paul sums it up and says, and even if those two things aren't true, sometimes we just don't even know what we wanted or what we needed. And that's true for us as well. God, I don't even know what you want from me. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do anymore. Paul says, the good news is that whenever you feel that way, any of those things, it's great it's not about you. It's not about us having to get ourselves together enough, be strong enough, not be rebellious enough to know what we need, because it's what Jesus has done for us. And he did all of that, even when we weren't powerful enough to be able to act And Paul contrasts this idea of Jesus dying for us with someone who's worth dying for. That he says we can understand when someone puts their life on the line for someone else. We can understand that when a parent will put their life on the line for a child. Or where a security person would put their life on the line to protect a president or something like that. We get that when that sort of thing happens. And Paul says, and we can even understand when someone would die as a way of setting an example for other people or put their life on the line for that. We think about someone like Martin Luther King or we think about Gandhi and the way in which they would put their lives on the line to say, I hope that this inspires you to be able to live a certain way. But Paul says, even though things are true, there is a sense where God does see us as worthy enough for Jesus to die for us and that Jesus does set an example about what sacrifice looks like, ultimately the reason that Jesus dies for us is simple. It's to show us how much God loves us. End of story. That's God's sole motivation in all of this. Not because we're good enough, not because we deserve it, not just to set an example, but to say, I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to be a part of my family and we're gonna do everything necessary for that to happen. So for us as a church, that's the core of who we are. We're a Jesus-centred community. We want to continue to remind ourselves about all of those truths. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done for us, and therefore this is who we can be because of that. So I want to give you an opportunity to do a little bit of reflecting about what that looks, for, looks like for you as we head into this year. i got this reflection question that you can spend a bit of time thinking about. What's my next step in becoming even more Jesus-centred as we head into this year? What's my next step as I think about this idea of embracing the concept of being Jesus-centred? There's a couple of things that are really important to recognise there. The first is that there are a never-ending number of steps for us to be able to take. This isn't something that we can say, well, if I focus on this enough, I'll get my certificate and graduate and say, I am now a Jesus-centered person. That's not how things work in our relationship with Jesus. This is the journey of our lives. The flip side of that, though, is that that can feel a bit challenging at times because it feels overwhelming to think about all of the things that it means to be Jesus-centered, and so sometimes we can think, ah, it's a bit too much. So, at the start of each year, it's helpful for us to say, just, I'm not gonna try and think about everything, but what's one thing, or what are a couple of things that are on my mind and my heart as I start this year about what it would look like for me to be someone who's more Jesus-centered as I head into 2021. So for some of us that might be about just continuing to unpack what that looks like. To say, I wanna do some more research about this. I wanna take some time to read the book of Romans to myself or to read the biographies about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and to find out a bit more about him, to discover a bit more about what Jesus was all about, what did Jesus actually say and what are the implications of that. For some of us, it's the challenge about continuing to live out of what has been given to us and balancing the tension that I think is helpfully summed up in the difference between obligation and inspiration. For a lot of us at times, we can feel obliged to follow Jesus. Well, I'd better make sure that I do the things that I'm supposed to do because otherwise there's a punishment on the other end of it if I don't. That's obligation. I guess I have to do this That's very different to inspiration where we look at who Jesus is, we look at what Jesus has done for us and we say, why would I want to live any other way? Why wouldn't I want to embrace the way that Jesus wants me to live my life if he's done all of this for me? That's remarkable and amazing. So for some of us, it's to challenge ourselves around that, to say, am I just feeling obligated to follow Jesus this year or is this something that I'm feeling inspired about in a new way? For some of us, it might be digging into this idea of exploring what peace looks like. This concept of saying, what does it feel like to stand out in the wide open spaces, to have my doors open to God and know that his door is open to me? To explore what that looks like in my relationship with God, my relationship with other people, my relationship with myself. For some of us, it might be about talking about that idea of peace with other people, to say this is a helpful way of helping other people to discover what the message of Jesus is all about. And For some of us, it might be about saying, even in the challenging times, how do I continue to trust in Jesus? That if I'm honest, when I feel my troubles starting to creep in and crowd around me, I can kind of turn my back on Jesus pretty quickly. What does it look like for me to trust Jesus even when things are hard, even when the challenges start to come? So I want to give you a couple of moments to be able to think about that. You can jot some thoughts down on your page. You can talk to the person next to you. Uh, But as we begin this year, is there something that you sense God is challenging you about, something that you just feel a little tug on your heart to say, as I start this year, maybe I could focus on this and that would help me take some next steps in being more Jesus-centred. Take a couple of moments to reflect and then we'll come back together. One of the tools that we want to give you as you head into this year is a spiritual health checkup. So this is something that we did at the start of last year and I think is a helpful snapshot for us to be able to do at the start of each year. So on your way out today, you can feel free to grab one of these and uh, there's a bunch of statements inside of it which give you an opportunity to give yourself a rating, one to five, to be able to say, how am I going with these different areas today about what it means to be Jesus-centred. Next week, we'll have some other things about spiritual family and the week after about seeing lives change. But throughout this week, I wanna encourage you to take some time to reflect on that and to say, where am I at? And it's not a test, it's not a sense of judgment, it's not about feeling like, do I measure up or not? It's just about being honest with ourselves and saying, well, realistically, here's a couple of areas that I can see maybe God is challenging me about stepping into as I head into this year. And so on the back page, you'll see there's some questions then to be able to reflect, say, are there some key themes. Are there some key next steps that might follow on from what you've just been thinking about? Uh, But I wanna encourage you to take that and to do that at some point this week and then to talk to someone else about that and to be able to share a bit of what you're journeying through. So hopefully that'll be helpful for you. I'm going to pray and then we're going to transition across to communion. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful that the core of who we are as a church family is all about you. That at the end of the day, we know it's not about us trying to get our lives together enough. It's not about us trying to follow a set of rules. It's simply about us trusting in you. Trusting that you are who you said that you were. Trusting that you have done what we believe that you have done for us. We thank you that that trust enables us to feel a sense of freedom and a sense of peace. That our lives are not this treadmill of trying to earn and trying to earn and trying to earn. But it is about us being able to stop and stretch our arms out in the wide open spaces of God's peace be able to breathe the air and know that you love us and you accept us as we are, even with all the baggage that we have, even in the times that we feel too weak or too rebellious, even in the things that we struggle with, even in the challenging times that you call on us to continue to trust you, that you've done everything necessary for us to experience what God has always wanted for us, to be swept up as a part of his family. So as we begin this year, we recommit ourselves as a church to what it means to follow you, We thank you, Jesus, that you are the leader of our church. You're the one who ultimately all of us follow. And we ask that you would help us to know what it looks like to take our next steps so that we can become even more Jesus-centered as we move through this year. In your name we pray. Amen.